welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much again for joining this new community that we've started with interviews of Tony Sane, Roberto Martinez, Tyler Adams, Marcelo Balboa, Landon Donovan, Derek Ray, and Julie Foudy. Today's interview guest is Roma's Henrik Mikatarian, a fascinating guy who speaks six languages and talks to me about a number of topics, including why his adjustment to Roma has gone well, what COVID has been like in Italy, what it's like to work with his super agent, Mino Raiola, and whether he'd like to go back to Arsenal or stay at Roma once his loan ends. It would be absolutely huge for this podcast growth if you could subscribe, recommend us to your friends, and take just a little bit of time to rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. Before we get to Henrik Mikatarian, let's bring on Daryl Grove from the Total Soccer Show to talk soccer news. Daryl, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Grant. How are you doing? I'm doing okay. You know, it's it's been interesting to see soccer get going again. We're on the yeah. verge of having not just Germany playing games, so I'm fired up about that. We'll talk a bit about Spain here later on. Obviously, a lot's going on in the world right now. It's going on in your city where you live in, in Richmond, Virginia. It's going on in New York where I live, all over the United States, all over the world. The protests are happening about police brutality, racism, George Floyd, and the soccer community has been part of those protests here in the U.S. and abroad. And I'm curious just to get sort of your thoughts. My sense is that players are finding their voice, and that includes the U.S. women's national team. Meg Linehan had a terrific article in The Athletic talking to a half dozen U.S. women's national team players. The U.S. men's national team did a video with Tyler Adams and Weston McKenney and Christian Pulisic and others. Zach Steffen getting very vocal. MLS players like Jeremy Abobise and his writing and CJ Sapong being having a lot to say publicly. Even guys like Joshua Kimmich, who to me has sort of become a symbol of white players starting to get it. He said publicly that it's important for white players to speak up. A guy in Germany, in his case. How do you see all of this? Essentially, for me, the first public display was from Weston McKenney, right? He had the Justice for yeah. George um, armband, um, followed soon after by uh, Jaden Sancho the next day um, when he uh, took his jersey off. The thing that has me um, really um, excited, I guess, and this is more of a, from a soccer perspective, is that I feel like because of Weston McKenney, because of Tyler Adams, um, because of all the players in that Enough is Enough video, which I'm sure is what you were referring to, right? It was the Weston McKenney-led yeah, video. Yeah. Um, I think it, it's starting to give the U.S. men's national team, the the core, the current and future core of the U.S. men's national team, I think sort of has this identity of being willing to lead and being willing to speak out, um, either in spite of or because of the fact that they're such young players. Um, and I'm I'm really excited for a future where we have a U.S. men's national team that is consistently speaking out about racial justice and social justice. I mean, this this might not be just temporary. This might be the identity of the team for the foreseeable future. And that that is a, that's a team that I can really really get behind. Yeah, and I think we're seeing that with Weston McKenney uh, in particular. Tyler Adams is a guy who has been. Uh, posting images on a social media from protests in Leipzig, which is yeah. which is the former East Germany. It, Leipzig is is I've been there. It doesn't have the same feel as, as maybe as other cities in Germany, but the protests are really strong there. And um, 
it's cool to see Tyler Adams getting out in the street. I, I've always thought that Tyler Adams is basically 21 years old going on 40 because the way yeah. he speaks, he's such a, a leader. That's that's kind of always been there. But to see him uh, you know, sharing that voice, using that voice right now, and to see players that maybe we hadn't heard from as much in this realm like Weston McKinney or Zach Steffen, who I, I, I thought um, really had a, a lot to say and has continued to say it. Um, these are young guys. The, young, the, the, the leaders on this U.S. men's team are in their early 20s. Yeah. And so for them, I think this is a really important moment to, to find their voice and realize the influence it can have. And I've, I mean, I've heard from people, um, you know, looking at protests saying that th these are young people who grew up in the Obama era and essentially they expect more. And that's why they're, that's part of the reason, at least, why they're out protesting and demanding more. So this is just a generational change. And I know I'm looking at it very much through a, through a soccer lens that hopefully this is what the men's national team, this will be part of their identity. I think this, this is just what young people are like now, Grant. I mean, we're two, two men in our 40s, right? But the, these are guys <laughs> yes. in their 20s. The one question I've got here is uh, we saw the NFL... And this is an amazing story. If uh, Henry Bushnell wrote about this for Yahoo, who Henry writes about soccer sometimes, but this was uh, a story about the employee of the NFL who sort of went rogue and on his own contacted NFL players, top NFL players, to shoot a video. Yeah, Brendan that, Mintner. I read the story. Yeah, it's great reporting from Henry. Yeah. It's, oh, yeah. And that video with all those NFL players so prominent, like really got Roger Goodell, the commissioner, to finally apologize. Now, he still didn't apologize directly to Colin Kaepernick, but he's, he certainly has taken a stand now that's very different from the president of the country, which is something that the NFL didn't do before. Now, the question about U.S. soccer is, why hasn't U.S. soccer done that about apologizing for how they responded to Megan Rapinoe's protest to take a knee in protest of police brutality against black Americans four years ago. And if I remember correctly, what U.S. soccer did was literally change a, a policy or change a bylaw so that everybody yeah. had to stand for the duration of the anthem and no one was allowed to take a knee, right? So as well as maybe just a straight up apology to Megan Rapinoe uh, in terms of like, hey, we, we got this wrong. Um, which is almost where the NFL got to, right? Roger Goodell said Black Lives yeah. Matter. Um, I, I would like to see that policy reverse so that players have the option to protest um, if they would like to. Uh, maybe the, the other idea is maybe ju just that going forward, um, again, as we mentioned with the, you know, the young black players like Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams and you know, white players who are supporting the movement, the US soccer could essentially just get out of their way, right? In, in terms of right. just let these guys make any statements about racial justice and social justice that they want in the future when they're playing, playing for the men's national team, representing the U.S. men's national team. Um, and, you know, just, just let them do it and get out of their way, support them. Don't, you know, don't threaten to find them or, or, you know, stand in their way when they're trying to do it. Yeah, I think that's really important. And I don't want U.S. soccer to sort of hide behind, oh, we have to have our entire membership at an AGM get together and change this policy because I don't want to wait that long. Right. And yeah. I don't think anyone wants, at least anyone I know wants them to wait that long. 
And I think this is one of those moments where I know Cindy Parlo Cohn is early on in her term as president of U.S. soccer, but I think this is a real opportunity for her to basically do the right thing. Yeah. I mean, this is my relationship with U.S. soccer is I keep being willing to reset and give them another chance every time there's new leadership, right? (laughs) So I know U.S. soccer can be this like monolith that we just think of as U.S. soccer, but it is worth remembering that like uh, Will Wilson and Cindy Pollock-Cone were not involved when that policy was changed in 2017. So there is a chance for the new leadership to to take a new path. There is other news, uh, obviously, out there. MLS and its players finally reached a deal uh, on a new CBA uh, this past week and set up this tournament for all the teams coming up in Orlando as a hub city. But clearly the relationship between the owners and the players, one player told me I spoke to right after this got done, he said that the relationship was set back years by the lockout threat that came from Don Garber representing the owners, which during a, a pandemic would have caused the players to have no pay. And as far as they saw it, no health benefits for their family. Now, the league claims that they would have kept their health benefits, which kind of maybe whatever. What do you think here? Was this a tactic that was a an unwise move by Garber considering what this will do with the relationship with his players? I do, because a lot of the quotes I've seen were the the players. It's almost like now we know who we're dealing with. Because this is obviously an exceptional right. situation, right? It's not like a regular CBA-type negotiation. Um, this is exceptional circumstances. And from what I understand, the players came to the table as willing negotiating partners, understanding that we're not going to get like some wonderful deal here. We're willing to sacrifice quite a lot to make sure that we can play this tournament, that soccer can go forward. And even with all that goodwill and that willingness to bend, they still got faced with the threat of a lockout. And I think the feeling is... Um, uh, I mean, I, I don't have sources, right? So this is just from, from what I've read in various stories. The feeling seems to be that maybe next time they go to the table, they'll be thinking, um, you know, fool me once, shame on me. Uh, fool me twice. No, the other way around, right? right? Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Um, so yeah, I think yeah. essentially the players will be will be tougher going forward. And as I understand it, they actually did, they stood up to the threat of a lockout, right? They did not cave when the lockout was threatened. And it seems to me that M- the MLS yeah. players did get the version of the force majeure that they wanted, which is that um, if there is a force majeure type event, that it will just trigger sort of a period where the new, the CBA can be renegotiated rather than the players immediately go without pay. So even with the threat of, threat of a lockout, the players basically got what they wanted and also learned a lot about um, who they were dealing with. Yeah, and I think that's important just to look at the long-term picture here because most of the players actually think that it's very possible that the force majeure will be activated and maybe in early 2021, we could be in another situation where there's going to be a CBA negotiation. Yeah. And if that happens again, they're going to approach it differently. They, they said, they told me that like, there's a big difference in the relationship now as a result of what happened in the past week compared to how, how they felt when the CBA originally got done back in January. 
January, early February. It also seems like the uh, the big name players are willing to step up and add their voice yes. to the negotiation, right? I think that's one of the major differences is instead of it being the sort of middle salary players who basically have the most to lose and the most to gain and they tend to be the union reps. Um, from what I understand, players like uh, Bradley, Josie, Chicharito, these guys were like on the calls and willing to uh, speak, like add their voice to the the, uh, the the sort of regular Joe player voices. Um, and it just carries a lot more right. weight, right? When you're negotiating with another millionaire, it's a lot tougher for the owners. Yeah, I think that's really important. So we'll, we'll see how the, the labor relations uh, move forward now uh, between the players in the league with MLS. In terms of the this Orlando tournament itself, it's now set to... Uh, players would arrive in late June and uh, games would start in July. Uh, each team would play at least three games in a group stage and then there would be uh, a knockout uh, round. Uh, how do we feel about this tournament right now as opposed to the, the decision that could have been made to play these games in empty stadiums and home markets where players could have been with their families? I mean, I don't like the location. I think the fact that it's in Florida, like I was looking at the graphs before we started recording, uh, Florida is starting to to spike again, right? There's like 1,300 or 1,400 yep. new cases of coronavirus recorded per day over the last few days in Florida. And I think, I, I think it, it's pretty obvious that the reason this thing is happening in Orlando at ESPN's complex is essentially to do ESPN a favor, right? With the broadcast rights deal coming up. Yeah in 2022 so there's that element where i think we're, i mean i don't know i mean i think uh dr gander would be a better place to say is is there more of a danger um, in terms of having everybody travel once to one location and stay there for a few weeks versus having players fly around the country i honestly don't know what the trade-off is but i feel like if we we're going to choose one place then maybe orlando should not have been the place and also from a soccer perspective it's it's not going to look great being even in, I know empty stadiums don't look great in the Bundesliga, but at least they're in professional soccer stadiums, right? These are going to be right. major league soccer games played on. I've seen the fields at that, that complex. They're nice enough fields, but they're not proper stadiums. And it's really hot in Orlando in July. Um, and I, I, I think we're going to see some not great soccer because of those conditions. I'm a little concerned and the players are, are concerned. They, they tell me that we, they haven't seen enough detail yet from MLS about how this is going to work. Now, MLS does have a little bit of time now to get things finalized. And I think the players really want to see uh, a lot more in terms of safety measures, protocols, all that stuff. Um, and you're right. The, the case situation for COVID in Florida is going up. It also happens to be going up in Utah, where the NWSL tournament is set to take place. Ooh. And so I think that could be uh, a real issue. Um, you know, one player told me that, like, he thinks going to Florida is a, is a really concerning thing because uh, Disney World is opening up. It's going to be having people come in from all over the place, and, and you really could see a, a spike. So I just hope that this goes okay from a safety perspective in a way similar to what we've seen so far in Germany and obviously to what I hope we see in, in other European countries. But um, there's definitely concerns. A couple other things I want to talk about here before we get to Henrik Mikatarian. Timo Werner uh, is headed to Chelsea, it looks like. Uh, I had to get my German on there. And to me, this reminds me a little bit 
of Christian Pulisic, it, only in the sense that like, it always seemed like Liverpool would be a great destination for Pulisic. And then basically he, it became Chelsea because Chelsea wanted him more. Timo Werner, everyone thought was going to go to Liverpool. Now he appears headed to Chelsea. How do you feel about that move? How does Pulisic fit in your mind in a potential front three of Hakeem Ziyech, Timo Werner, Christian Pulisic, or, or will it be something different? I mean, I think the important thing is not to worry too much about Christian Pulisic. This is the thing I've, I've learned. <laughs> I, I had the knee-jerk reaction of, oh no, Chelsea have signed another player who is sort of vaguely similar to, similar to Christian Pulisic in that when you see Timo Werner play, he tends to start on the left and is right-footed and drifts inside. Like he, he plays sort of left side of a front two for Leipzig or sometimes left side of a front three with like uh, Schick or Paulson in the middle. So he's not massively dissimilar. But I, I think the thing I've come to realise is if, if we're going to support and be enthusiastic about young Americans playing at high levels like the Premier League, this is part of playing for a big, big team, right? Is that your team constantly right. signs new players when they can. And it's just, we have to just have faith in American players, especially players like Christian Pulisic, that they're up to the challenge of finding a place in that starting 11 um, uh, successfully and consistently. So the, the big thing I think is Timo Werner can play centre forward. Timo Werner can play sort of left forward or left wing. Um, Hakim, Z Hakim Ziyech can play right wing or central attacking midfielder um, there's a lot of Christian Pulisic can play on the left or can play on the right he's even played centrally for the US men's national team as well right so I think there's three yeah. players with a lot of versatility um, they could all they could play as a sort of uh, Liverpool style front three they could play as a band of attacking three with Tammy Abraham um, he's maybe the, the one who's not so versatile because he's basically just a target striker like he has to play play center forward but I think there's lots of permutations that Chelsea can roll out and I think most of them either do or can involve Christian Pulisic so what do you think if you're Tammy Abraham is this something where do you think he might leave Chelsea might go somewhere else or that this is this Werner acquisition is like in addition to Tammy Abraham. Yeah, I think it's in addition because, I mean, Abraham was obviously the first choice last season and that's with uh, Michy Batshuayi and Olivier Giroud behind him, right? And Lampard always went right. with Tammy Abraham. And that says to me that he, he values him quite highly. Um, I know there are contract negotiations going on, so something may depend on that. But it's also worth remembering that Timo Werner is a very different type of player, right? He's a, oh, yeah. a, player, a player who's really good at pressing, which I know is something Lampard values quite highly. He's a player with pace who's going to run in behind. But he's not a player that you can play a direct ball to and expect him to win the header and flick it on, right? So he, And Tammy Abraham, is uh, he does have that element to his game. And I think any good Premier League team needs to have different players who can can do different things so yeah maybe Tammy, Tammy Abraham's not going to be every week you're starting and that was a luxury that he had because of the transfer ban meant Chelsea could not sign any additional players last year right um, so he essentially got um, as a young English player he got a nice head start on getting a full season where he had no competition and now maybe sort of like Christian Pulisic he's now he's faced with some competition and that's part of playing for a Champions League Premier League team Makes sense to me. Also, I mean, even though there was a buyout figure, I think it was just in excess of around $50 million for Timo Werner, it's still clear that the transfer market's not totally going away if Chelsea's willing to spend that much money yeah. on, on Timo Werner. So maybe we've 
maybe I've overestimated a little bit how much the, there was going to be a depression in the transfer market. But I wonder, it's worth wondering how much would Timo Werner fetch without a release clause on an open market before the coronavirus? And my guess is it would be more right. than that 50, 60 million. Yeah. I think Chelsea are maybe wise to, like, nobody knows what the market looks like, but I think you can guess that Werner, even in a reduced transfer market where all the numbers have come down, um, that it, it's still probably pretty decent value for money. Well, I mean, didn't Erling Holland have like a buyout figure of like just like $20 million or something? Right, yeah. So it makes you wonder what his figure on the open market would be. A um, couple more things here. Megan Rapino, it has come out, is not going to be playing in the NWSL tournament in Utah. Sort of weirdly, that news was released in a European outlet by her coach, Fareed Benstidi. Uh, he also sort of added that he was not particularly happy with this situation, even though the league had said very clearly that every player will get paid whether they come to this tournament or not, and said that there would be no aspersions cast on players who decide not to go. Um, Megan Rapino, apparently, even though she hasn't announced this herself yet, has issues with the health situation, as uh, is potentially understandable here. The question for me is, is there any chance that Megan Rapino might be done playing? Because if we're not expecting the NWSL to have games after this tournament this season, Rapino herself has said that she's not sure the Olympics will even happen next year because uh, she doesn't think they will happen in, in, unless we have a vaccine. And at that point, she has sort of indicated that maybe she wouldn't play for the national team after the Olympics. So is there a chance she's done? I think the Olympics is the key, right? If if there's an Olympic gold medal to be won and you can be simultaneous World Cup and Olympic medal winner, holder, then I think Megan Rapinoe's sticking around and playing. If not, I mean, her quotes seem to indicate that, yeah, if, the, if there's no Olympics on the horizon to be to be competed for, then then yeah, maybe maybe no more Megan Rapino, and if that's the case, then she definitely went out on top. <laughs> yeah, pretty hard to do much better than uh, golden boot, uh, golden ball, and winning a World Cup. Yeah, um, but uh, that I, I I am only asking the question because I think there's a real possibility at this point. But I would also say this: that Megan Rapino, as we saw in that World Cup has found an ability in her 30s to get the most out of her body in a way that she didn't always do in her 20s. She wasn't always the the most resolute uh, lifter, train, you know, training player, all that stuff. Uh, and every account I've seen is that Sue Bird has had a really positive impact on Rapino's physical conditioning and the work she does for that. So I don't want to write her off, but um, it's just interesting to me that it's a possibility at this point. Um, Let's move on. Got a couple more topics here. Germany, and this is the only league that's playing still right now, but to me, it seems like there's a little bit less to talk about just because Bayern is just totally cruising to the title. They won at Leverkusen easily this weekend. So I'm going to ask you one question. What are you most excited about in Germany for the rest of this season? Honestly, it's the thing I'm usually most excited about, which is watching young U.S. men's national team players play in the Bundesliga. <laughs> um, there's no point hiding it, right? That's the reason why a lot of us watch the Bundesliga. 
it's to check up on mm. Weston McKenney and Tyler Adams and to see Gio Reyna break through and to see how Josh Sargent's doing. Um, and then, you know, there's, there's players like Ulysses Yanez coming in behind, right, where he might get his Wolfsburg debut at some point this season. And we watch John Brooks to, uh, to see his defending and to hope he doesn't get injured. So for me, just <laughs> watching young US men's <laughs> national team players, once Bayern have won the league and Dortmund can't catch them, uh, that's kind of the only thing that I'm, that I'm in it for. Like, it's kind of interesting that um, Mönchengladbach and Leverkusen and Leipzig are all battling for those final couple of Champions League spots. But even that, to me, is tied in right. with the Tyler Adams thing, where I want it to be Leipzig because I want it to be Tyler Adams. I'll have you know that given the option on Saturday of watching Leverkusen Bayern, I chose... Uh, the Leipzig game because I just wanted to see Tyler Adams play. Well, you did get to see him play central midfield. I did, and I was excited about that. And then Upa Makano got sent off, yeah. and he had to go out to right back. So I was a little bummed for him. And, and actually, I know he he's a little bummed when he has to play right back. <laughs> but he, I mean, like here's the, the amazing thing about that is that I know they gave up a late goal, which is a huge bummer against Paderborn uh, for a tie. So they they you know they. Uh, two points lost there for for Leipzig but when they go down to 10 men fairly early in that game I think Tyler Adams has a real impact on most of that game feeling like Leipzig is not down a man oh just because he's so quick to close down and he's everywhere and he's oh, yeah. it's almost like having two players yeah absolutely it's it's unbelievable when you actually watch Tyler Adams like as much as possible, even when he doesn't have the ball, just to see how much space the guy closes down and how smart he is when it comes to reading the game. Yeah, that's for me too. It's it's the appeal right now at the Bundesliga is seeing young Americans over there. I'd really like to see if Gio Reyna can sort of increase his impact. I'd hate to think that the closest he came to starting a game was the first game post-COVID when he got hurt in the warm-up and ended up not being able to. Like yeah. In the long term, I think Gio Reyna is going to be fine. But I'm bummed for him that that wasn't something that he could do and then potentially build on that to become uh, a starter, you know, for the rest of this season. We'll see how that how that goes. Um, lastly here, La Liga in Spain starts again this Thursday. And I'm excited about that. I'm excited to see if Barcelona can hold off Real Madrid, even though both teams have been very flawed this season. But... Most of all, I just want every chance I can get to watch Lionel Messi. And mm -hmm. I realize maybe that's being overly dramatic. He turns 33 on June 24th. I think he's going to be with us a, a little while longer. I certainly hope so. He's, he's got a, a bit of an injury, but the club is saying that he should be available to play at Mallorca this weekend. Are you like me? Like, do you treat every chance to see Lionel Messi these days as increasingly important in his final years? Do you know I don't, but maybe I should. I think he's been <laughs> around so long. I mean, the, the entire time that I've been uh, first like blogging and writing about soccer and then doing the Total Soccer Show, Leo Messi has been around. So I think he's been around so long that I take him for granted. Um, and yeah, maybe you're right. Maybe given his advancing years maybe i should sort of make it more like appointment television um no matter who they're playing no matter who Barca are playing to tune in and watch leo messi in action i just don't feel that way i have a ton of respect for cristiano ronaldo i know he's actually older than Lionel messi i just don't feel quite the same way like with messi i think back to i got to see michael jordan play live once in my life 
And I felt like that was an important thing to be able to do at least once. And I, I sat down and actually listed the number of times I've seen Messi play live. And it's six times. Uh, twice in World Cup 2006. Should have been a third because I was in the stadium for the quarterfinal. They lost to Germany when Messi didn't get off the bench. And I'm still angry at Jose Packerman for that. <laughs> and then March 26, 2011, uh, friendly against the U.S., World Cup Final 2014, I saw him live, and then twice in the Copa America Centenario in 2016, including that game against the U.S. in the semis when he had one of the greatest free kicks I've ever seen in my life. I wish I had seen Messi play live more than six times. I don't know if I'll ever have a chance again. You've seen him play live six times more than me, so think of it that way. (laughs) I I am privileged in that sense. So yes, (laughs) I, I... Is it something like, how important is it to you to try to, to see Messi play live at least once? I don't know. It's not something where I'm like desperate to fly. I mean, I know coronavirus right now makes everything possible, but um, like accepting that, it's not something where I'd be desperate to fly across the Atlantic to, to go and see him play. And I still don't know why. Maybe it is this thing of me just taking taking Messi for granted. And, and I feel like I've, you know, watched him so much on TV and, you know, like like enjoyed what he does so much. It might be just a, a personality thing, but I don't always necessarily feel the... Um, the will to go and be in the presence of greatness. And I understand you get more out of it watching him in a stadium, but I do feel like I've seen lots of Messi over the years. That's true. And I do feel like, yeah, we have the opportunity in the satellite age to to see him so much on TV in a way that if this was the 1980s, we would have had a much harder time, I think, seeing Maradona play for Napoli in the yeah. US. Was there any way then? I don't, I, I don't know. Um, I, th- I think you know what, Grant. I think I'm. I think I'm scared of the disappointment. If I spent thousand dollars on a plane <laughs> ticket to go to Barcelona, and I had to overpay to get into the camp now, and I have got accommodation in in Barcelona, and I go to the game, and it turns out he got injured the night before, or he has a disappointing game, then suddenly I'm thousands of dollars in the hole, and I, and I'm really disappointed. <laughs> so how about this? How about U.S. Soccer set up a friendly with Argentina and Messi? In Washington D.C., near where you live, you would make that drive, correct? Hundred percent, yeah. I mean, if the U.S. if the yeah. U.S. played in Washington D.C., I'll I'll go up there, yeah. <laughs> yeah, of course. I hope they do that. I hope yeah. they do that while Lionel Messi is still playing, and uh, I hope Lionel Messi gets another shot to try and win a World Cup because I think that would be fantastic. So are you gonna Are you gonna set that up for me, Grant? Then is there someone you can talk to? I will use every ounce of my influence. <laughs> I don't think that's going to do much for us, but you can still always hope. Uh, I want to thank you for taking this much time to to come on my show. All of you listeners, I'm sure already listen to the Total Soccer Show. If you aren't, basically what's wrong with you, check it out. Uh, and it has been an absolute blast uh, working with you and uh, and Taylor as well and, and continuing to do so. And the same to you, Grant. Yeah, I'm enjoying, I'm enjoying listening to the episodes. Fantastic. So another episode will be coming on Thursday. But right now, I want you to listen to my interview with Roma's Henrik Mikatarian, which took place on Tuesday, June 2nd. Our guest now is Henrik Mikatarian of AS Roma. He's had six goals and three assists in 13 Serie A games this season, including goals in the last two league games right before the virus hit. Henrik, thanks so much for joining me. Thanks to you. Thanks, Grant. It's great to have you on the show. How are you and your family doing after the virus hit Italy so hard? Well, finally, we got a bit of freedom. 
uh, we can breathe normally now, which was difficult uh, during the quarantine, but uh, thanks God everything is okay now. And uh, we're doing well. Uh, well, not fully recovered and not fully free mentally, but uh, we're trying to do our best. And uh, yeah, we're looking forward uh, for the life uh, to get back in normal. Yeah, Italy obviously was hit very hard by the virus maybe a bit more in the northern part of the country than in Rome. But how would you describe what it was like there just to live in Italy over the last two, three months? From the very beginning, um, I had a friend living in Milan and uh, I was in touch with him and he was telling me that the situation here is incredible and uh, he couldn't even describe what's going on and uh, how people are stressed and uh, how they act. And, uh, well, I was thinking the same going to happen in Rome, but um, hopefully it wasn't that bad. And uh, I can say that uh, Italian people behaved very well and uh, they did everything what the government was asking from them. And uh, now, as you see, like the numbers has decreased and um, everything is okay at the moment. We're still fighting. The, the, the country is still fighting uh, against the virus, but I think... Uh, everything is going well. Well, I, I speak to you from New York, where obviously uh, the virus hit very, very hard. Uh, it's still an issue here. And, and we have we have our own uh, situation here uh, in, in New York and, and all over the United States with all the protests that are happening. So I, I'm curious, when you see what is happening in New York, what is happening in America, what do you think about it? Well, of course, it's shame, you know, uh, you you don't you don't you don't want to see these kind of things in the 21st century, you know, because this is hard to believe what's going on. And um, of course, uh, the only thing uh, to to hope it's uh, to fight against it and uh, to not let these kind of things happen, because uh, you know I don't think it's necessary to to describe what people are thinking and what 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 is going on. The only thing is that we have to fight, we have to be united, and uh, we, have to, we have to keep living our lives. Italy, Serie A, starts again on June 20th. How is the situation for football in Italy right now? Do you think the league will be safe to start again on June 20th? Well, for us players, it's a bit unusual at the moment because uh, we either don't know uh, what's going to happen, you know, how... We're gonna react. How we're gonna play? How everything, the situation, how it will be? But uh, of course, we're looking forward for the first game of the season because I think we're hungry to play and we want to play. We want to go back to the normal. Uh, of course, it's not going to be the same as it was before. But um, we have to do our best. We have to behave good, and uh, we have to move forward. You speak, I am told, seven languages. Is that true? And in which languages do you speak? Well, uh, to be honest, maybe it's a six. It's not seven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, my mother language, Armenian. Then uh, I do speak Russian. I do speak French, English, uh, a bit German and uh, a bit Italian. I knew the Portuguese, but uh, I forgot because I had no one to communicate with. And so 
it disappeared, <laughs> unfortunately. But uh, I'm happy to know as many languages because you know it's very easy to communicate with people, to talk about different things, and uh, it makes uh, things easier. It's it's incredible to me, um, and I, I wonder you arrived at Roma, and and you are able to speak Italian. How much do you think that ability to speak Italian helped you integrate into the team there this season? First of all, I had always a dream to learn or Italian or Spanish language. And uh, I got this opportunity to learn the Italian. Um, after three months, I've got my first interview in Italian language. I was very um, inspired to learn this language, to do my best to learn as quick as possible, because it was very important on and off the pitch. Um, I don't know how long I'm going to stay here. Of course, I like Rome as a country. I like Rome as a club. And um, I wish I can stay here longer, but it's not up to me. I'm doing my best. I'm trying to learn Italian to improve. And uh, uh, let's see what's, what's going to happen the next. <laughs> <laughs> Why have you enjoyed playing in this Roma squad this season? Uh, I think because the club and the philosophy of the manager suits me. And uh, I'm very happy to play this kind of football because it makes me feel pleasure. It makes me enjoy playing football. And uh, yeah, it's the only reason, I guess. It seems like you and a few other players coming from the Premier League in England, coming to Italy, that you have adapted very well to moving to Italy. I look at players in other parts of the league in Italy, too. Like, Why do you think that has happened? Well, maybe it's because the Italian mentality they are very friendly. They are trying to help you to settle down as quick as possible because it's very important for ourselves as a player and for themselves to help the, the team uh, to win or to, to play good, to feel good uh, yourself in the country, in the team. So I think it's uh, one of the reasons why everyone is integrating himself very well. Right now, Roma is three points behind Atalanta for the final Champions League spot for next season. How do you feel about Roma's chances to finish in the top four places? I think everything is in our hands. Everything is up to us. Um, I mean, we have the capacity, we have the ability to to be in a top four. And I'm sure we can do that. Uh, it's only 12 games left and we have to try to win as many games as we can. We have to get as many points as we can. And then at the end of the season, we can see if we reach the top four of Syria A or not. Um, of course, at the beginning of the season was the main target for the club to, to be in a top four, to win the, the Italian Cup and to go as far as possible in Europe League. I mean, uh, it's hard, but uh, of course, everyone is fighting for the top four position. And uh, of course, AS Roma is doing the same. So I don't think in football life, three points is too much. So I think everything is possible and we're going to do our best to, to get that position. You sort of addressed this before. You're on loan this season from Arsenal to Roma. Would you like to be at Roma next season? Of course, I would like to be in Roma next season and not only next season for another few years. But, uh, you know, I still have contract with Arsenal and it's uh, not up to me. It's up to Arsenal and Roma if they will agree their uh, their like uh, terms of the transfer wind of the transfer fee so my my thing it's uh, to train hard to play hard and uh, to look forward to what's going to happen of course um, if i'm not going to stay in, in roma i have to go back to arsenal so i'm not complaining you know 
football life changed so quick so you have to be ready to to play wherever you are so if not in roma i'm gonna go back to play for arsenal if not i'm gonna stay here and play for roma i'm curious to know what it's like to work with mina raiola he is your agent and I've worked with Mino on things. He's the basically the most famous agent in the world of football. I've worked with Mino when we did a big story on Mario Balotelli a few years ago. I've worked with him when uh, with Zlatan Ibrahimovic. He's a larger-than-life character, a figure. How would you describe Mino Raiola? Well, sometimes it's very interesting to work with him, but sometimes it's very hard. Um <laughs> Well, the most important thing is doing his best uh, for the players to make them happy. I mean, if the player is not happy, he is not happy too. So he wants always his player to be happy. doesn't matter if, if it will be on the pitch or off the pitch. So if one of the players is unhappy in, in some club, he will find a solution to, to make you happy, to get to somewhere where you're going to play or where you can enjoy life and enjoy playing football. But uh, there are like situations, there are times where he's really very tough and it's very hard to work with him, but it's normal, you know, because um, he's the best in his job and I appreciate it. I really, I really enjoy working with him, uh, but he's very, very like uh, tough as a person, as, a, as an agent, but um, of course it has his, uh, his best sides too. This is an interesting topic and I, I... I have an agent too, right? And and so like sometimes my agent tells me things I don't always want to hear. When you say that he can be hard to work with, is that what you mean or something else? Well, I mean, you know, uh, sometimes um, uh, I had time when I was calling him for a few times and he wouldn't pick up his phone, you know, and then he calls you after one month and say, why you forgot about me? Why you are not calling? And I'm <laughs> okay. saying, you know, I've called you a few times and you're not picking your phone up. And say, yeah, but try to call me the third time or fourth time. So <laughs> you know, he, he always has the, the answer. <laughs> if it makes you feel better, Mino doesn't always respond to my messages either, but he doesn't. Well, <laughs> so, so I'm not the only one. <laughs> um, you are by far the most famous player ever from the country of Armenia. And I am wondering, what do you want the world to know about Armenia? It's a country with a lot of history. You know, you have created so much of its football history. What, what do you want the world to know about your country? Well, when I just started to play football and when I um, had my first move to Ukraine in 2009, my main idea was to play as good that uh, I can uh, make people know about Armenia. Of course, you know, there are many people looking, oh, where is this guy coming from, from Armenia? Let me check on Google or somewhere. And they are trying to, to see what is Armenia about. And I was trying to do my best to let them know as better as possible, as quick as possible. Uh, I mean, not everyone knows that Armenia is the first country that uh, recognized the, the Christian religion, you know, and many good things about like like that. Like Armenia is very, it's a country where the food is, lovely it's very tasty we have four seasons in a year you know you can see like snow you can see spring autumn summer everything so i mean if you are very interested you can go on google check it up and uh, you can find many many interesting things of course i was feeling myself as an ambassador of armenia playing football i was trying always to do my best to show people what is armenia about and uh 
I hope that uh, I succeed and uh, I made the world know about Armenia. Here in the United States, we have produced some good players, but we have never produced in the men's game a true superstar in football. And I think you could probably say that you're the first true superstar to come from your country in soccer and football. How does that feel to be the first one and, and kind of the only one? And, and like, what can we do as a country? We're a really big country in the United States. And what can we do to finally produce superstars in the sport? Well, I mean, you have a lot of superstars in your country, not only in football, but uh, in different sports. And uh, you cannot deny that, of course. True, <laughs> true, true. I mean, um, you know, it's a bit hard from Armenia to be a sportsman, like to, to be a football player, to, to be a different, I don't know, in a different sport, because Armenia is not very known as a sport country. So what we have to do is we have to represent ourselves as good as we can to show people that Armenia has sport too. I mean, football. I've tried my best. I did my best to to show people that I'm worth it to play in Europe. And I had a dream to go there. And what I did, I believed in myself. And I believed in myself. I, um, I never gave up. And I showed people that it's possible to go from a country like Armenia to play soccer in Germany, in Italy, in UK. And uh, everyone can do that. So, you know, I mean... My nation can tell can tell you if uh, I'm a superstar or not because myself, I always dreamed to be a football player. I always wanted to enjoy the football life and what I'm doing. So maybe I I'm a superstar, but you know I don't want to talk about it. <laughs> In football, unfortunately, sometimes po politics comes into play. In sports, you've had a chance to play in a European final, and that was taking place in Azerbaijan and, and you were not able to go. You decided not to go. How difficult was that for you to not be able to play in a, in a big European final because of a situation like that? I mean, you know, it's very hard because first of all, people has to know that uh, if you are doing a final in a country, you have to be sure that there is that there cannot be a problem. So, I mean, there is no player that cannot go to that country, that cannot travel to that country because of diplomatic uh, problems or something like that. So, of course, you never know if, you, if you're going to reach the final or, or not. But um, we were doing very well with Arsenal last year. And uh, when we went to, to the final of Europe League and went to play in, uh, in Baku, you know, I had no other choice than to say my life is more important than the final. Because, uh, of course, I won three years ago with Manchester United the trophy. But imagine if I wouldn't win, if I wouldn't uh, win that trophy three years ago and it would be my first final in Europe League with Arsenal. So I would, be, I would feel very, very bad about it because maybe you will have this only opportunity in your life to play in such a final and then you miss it. So I just want to ask people to make sure about their uh, decisions for the future, not only for myself, but for, for other players too, because I'm not the only one in this situation. So there are many, many players that have some problems with their countries, with another one. So that's my only message that I can say. We're just about to finish here with Henrik Mikatarian. Uh, a couple more questions for you. They're about soccer things in your career. If you had to pick your most memorable goal that you have ever scored, what would it be and why? 
Uh, well, I think uh, the scorpion kick from Manchester United. Why? Yeah. I think because this kind of call, goals, you score maybe once in your life or maybe not. So I think this is the most memorable goal. And even when I've scored that goal during the game, I didn't realize how good is it. You know, I went home, <laughs> I opened the YouTube, I started watching it, and I said, "Oh my God, what I did!" You know. <laughs> so it was. Uh, I I felt very very proud and very excited about that goal. Who is the best player you have ever played against, and why? Well, I've played uh, against many, many good players. I don't want to mention one. I can say that, uh, you know, now it's always hard to play against your opponents because everyone wants to win and that makes things even harder. So it doesn't matter against who you're playing. I mean, you have to find a solution and you have to do your best to to beat them. And that makes you think, like, to, to feel uh, pleasant. So, but... Uh, I, I would say maybe Lionel Messi for me was the hardest opponent to play because he was incredible what he was doing on the pitch. I don't know if you're going to pick a specific player. Who's the best defender you've ever gone against and why? The best defender I've played against? I don't know, to be honest. <laughs> I cannot mention one of them. <laughs> because I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, not, uh, I'm not thinking about it, you know, who has been like the most top defender I've played against or who is the best right. uh, midfielder, you know. Okay, when you watch football, you can say about it. But when you go on the pitch, when you play, you're not thinking about it. So it's very hard to say who was the, the best defender because in one game, you can play bad, and the defender can look like amazing in other game you can play your best game and make the defender look like uh, a very bad defender so it's very hard to say that what is the achievement in your soccer career that you are the most proud of and why uh, uh what i'm proud of um the way i went through everything and i'm still going through everything and I'm still looking forward to play many years and to achieve more because at the end of your football career, there are only the titles that count. So I want to do my best and to win titles. Henrik Mikatarian, thank you so much for joining me. I look forward to seeing you, meeting you in person, either in Rome or New York or, or somewhere down the line. But I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thanks to you, Grant, and hopefully see you soon. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. If you like the podcast, you could do me a huge favor and hit that subscribe button and provide a rating and a review in Apple Podcasts. I can't tell you how much that helps. I'd like to thank Henrik Mikatarian as well as producer Chris Whittingham. I also want to thank Taylor Rockwell and Daryl Grove of the Total Soccer Show for everything they've done to help get this show off the ground. I'm back soon with another interview of someone from the soccer world. Be safe, everyone. See you next time. 